Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. And it's not just any old Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, it's episode 295 of the Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, which, if you think about it, is quite a lot of weeks. And it's the Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, as sponsored by, wait for it, Manscaped TM. Europe's best football is back this summer for the Euros, and you too can avoid a marrow inflaming bush in your midfield and clean up your midsection with Manscaped, proud sponsors of the Daily Canon podcast. Be a proper lad in this tournament and shave your bits with the best and global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped TM. Essentially, they're inviting you to join over 200 million men well, two million, not two hundred million men. If it's two hundred million men, that would be a very a lot, a lot of a uh, lot of personal grooming hair to be disposed of in interesting ways. But it's two million men so far who trust Manscaped. But judging by the people I've spoken to, that number is increasing all the time. Partly because male grooming is now a thing. Anyway, we have an exclusive offer for you: twenty percent off with free worldwide shipping with the promo code DCPOD twenty. That's DCPOD. Two zero at manscaped.com. Okay, with the uh, the todger topiary out the way for the moment, uh, we're gonna crack on to the podcast. Uh, we have with me this week uh, the other podcast host and uh, Manscaped user extraordinaire, Stephen Bradley. How is your slightly uh, less hirsute than normal self? Uh, I well, I'm feeling rather jealous that because you know my read wasn't as superb as your read was there for, for the for the for the initial sponsorship last week. But yeah, jealousy aside, one of those situations where not a lot is happening yet, quite a lot could happen. There's a lot of potential in the works right now, and wait for it. <laughs> it that's that's but that's the vibe at the moment, and it's wait for it, wait for it. Yeah, any minute now. We're going to sign yeah. six people, apparently. Yeah, we're going to spend 105 million on on five players, and half of your reaction is, "Whoa," and the other half is, uh, "Yeah, right, okay, yeah, I'll see it when it happens. Thanks very much, mate. Good luck." Like it's, like I said, we we said this at the start. It's a waiting period. It's you know we're we're in that 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 bit of awkward pause in the summer where we're going, "Are we actually going to do something?" And then you hear names being bandied around, and you're like, "Him, really?" And so you know, a couple of weeks have to go by. We have to see where we all want to know where we're going to end up in two months' time, and we don't want to wait the two months. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, I'm getting a lot of experience of that particular relationship with the world with my new little one. Who uh, every feeling is immediate, and every need is immediate, and their time doesn't exist as a concept. So I've got a quite good preparation for for wading into Twitter and finding out how people are outraged or enthused or arguing violently with each other about things that will probably never happen, which is obviously <laughs> part of the fun. Um, you, say, you say that now, you, you say that now, I'll give it three months when, when the sleep deprivation and the, and the lack of alcohol and the lack of time frame, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Well, and I, I, I'd like to dispute the lack of alcohol idea. I mean, I'm nothing, not, nothing if not professional, but uh, it's been a day, which means this uh, podcast is, for me at least, accompanied by uh, a beer brand that I won't mention uh, because obviously no free ads, uh, but let's just say it's one of the many beer companies that is associated with football. So if you want to send us some, there's a little hint. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who w- might need a beer later, Hugo Lloris, because we're recording this listener at quarter past nine, GMT on a Monday night. We've just seen Spain 
somehow thrashed Croatia 5-3. Sorry, Anita. That's why she's not here. She's still crying. Not thrashed. But, but, <laughs> but uh, Switzerland have just missed a penalty. It's a fantastic save by Hugo Lurie, so it's still 1-0 Switzerland. Updates later. Mm. He doesn't really do penalty saves normally. No, no, no. And it, this is a fantastic one. It's right in the bottom corner. He gets a good right hand to it. Who was the you penalty? Seferovic. Uh, oh, who scored the opener. Yeah, Who scored well, the opener. Uh, well, I, I mean, actually, I just... No, no, actually, sorry. I, I, I apologise. It was Ricardo Rodriguez, I think. Yeah, They, he... all, they all have... They all have beards and ponytails. They all look alike. That's my... Well, he used to be their, their set-piece... T- he's like their all-purpose set-piece taker who's takes all their set-pieces despite not being very good at set-pieces. Or at least yeah, well, he, he was about five years ago, but basically has done... <laughs> he's like Cristiano Ronaldo on free kicks. It's like well, once every few years, it's like slightly ahead of David Luiz, but slightly below mm-hmm. anyone that actually should be taking set-pieces. Little, little stat for you. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has taken 52 free kicks in a European Championship. How many has he scored? One? Yep. Yeah, I remember it. So that's, a, that's a fair old strike rate. One out of 52. To be fair, if, if, if he was in a team that was slightly more successful in European tournaments by the last one, uh, then he would have missed a lot more. Yeah, Mbappe just missed there as well for for a second. He put a shot out of the right post. I must confess though, like I, out this wasn't by design. I did not go there, you know, willingly. But it was my father's birthday, and for his birthday, I bought him two tickets to go see his, not mine, his beloved Manchester United. You'd probably have to bleep that bit out. And it was yes, and it was Manchester United versus Portsmouth. It was that goal that he scored with David James just staring at it in the far corner when right. it goes flying into the corner, and Rooney does you know shows his appreciation by putting his hair. Uh, yeah, we were there as Benzema makes it one all. Oh, there we go. It, this but, yeah, that's quite strange for you listeners. You're getting live updates to match you already know about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I've never like as soon as he as soon as Ronaldo hit that free kick, I stood up and shouted goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it, it was that bloody good. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, but it was a, a super, unbelievably well hit, well flighted free kick. That and it's just the power of it. So yeah. I don't blame him for taking free kicks that way if he's able to do that. And look, six months later, he did the exact same thing to Manuel Amunia from thirty yards further out. Yeah, yeah. So so it's you know if it works for you, stay at it. But he's going home the same way France were until about thirty seconds ago. Yeah, well, him, him and Aaron Ramsey can console each other back in Turin. Uh, hard life. Would you would, look? There's been rumours. We'll 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 crack into Arsenal news. I'm I'm taking your job here. Good, good luck. There have been there have been you know, a lot of reports. There's a lot of talk of Ramsey at least coming back to the Premier League, and we've seen Arsenal seemingly right now willing to splash around the cash. As this, as the transfer window moves further along, and Arsenal do spend fifty million on a centre back, and fifteen to twenty million on a defensive midfielder, and another ten million on a left back, and maybe twenty odd million on a goalkeeper, there is. Do you think that as the summer goes on, and Aaron Ramsey is still at Juventus, you think that getting him in on a free, yes, it would be astronomical wages, but is would he be our William two point I mean, the thing about Ramsey is you, you, you see it with his performances with Wales that uh, having Aaron Ramsey in your team gives you a tactical question mark 
which is not an easy one to solve. And the fact is, it all comes down to what we've talked about before. What systems Arteta going to play? If he's going to play uh, a three-man central midfield with two guys, or at least one guy breaking forward, another guy being a bit more box-box, another one sitting, Ramsey would be a great fit for that. He could be, him and Joe Willock could share that role in a kind of, you know, let's let's train up the young lad with someone that's been there and done it. But of course, if if we're playing the 4-2-3-1, Ramsey in central midfield, does tend to leave it a bit vacant, apart from that purple patch in 2013-14 where he was the best midfielder in Europe for six months and then got injured, uh, or five months and then got injured. Uh, he hasn't really worked in that position since he was quite young. And then at number 10, he doesn't really offer you the, the structural control of a number 10 uh, that you need if you're going to be playing a system which uses a number 10. Uh, you know, if you're going to be playing that as a key role within your team, you need someone for who is, how can I say it, more, the, the, the outcomes of what they're going to do are more reliable. Whereas, yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Aaron Ramsey. I've loved, I've, I loved him since I saw him play. He was Cardiff Reserves as a 16-year-old. Uh, and uh, he's, one, like I say, he's one of those players that you could squeeze him in in a couple of positions, but... One of them is centre mid, and Arsenal are looking for someone with a different profile to that. Yeah, and the second and the second place would be like a, like what he did when he was playing right wing for us for a bit. Yeah, exactly. Where he just and you can't really buy someone to play there when you've got Pepe and Saka. So, yeah. what do you do? By the way, Benzema two one. Uh, yeah, but that, that that's going to be the. I think the the problem I think Arsenal have right now is they need a lot of jigsaw pieces. And until they have all of them, we can't exactly see what they're building. Yeah, you know, yeah. like like Ben White is the perfect example. We said it. I said it to Anita last week. If Ben White is the most expensive player Arsenal buy, a lot of people are going to freak out. But buying him will answer a lot of questions because if you're buying him to play as a right-sided centre back in a four, then start seeing Holding's name come up for sale or start seeing Saliba's name come up for sale because you can't have both of them. If he's going to play like he does for Brighton, which is right centre-back in a three, then now you start thinking, oh, is he actually going to go to a five at the back? Is he going to play, mm-hmm. you know, is he is he only going to need two centre midfielders? So it's it's going to be a very, if we buy Ben White before the first preseason game, and he plays him, and we start playing three at the back. Then we'll immediately go. Oh, he's he might only buy one centre mid because that's all he'd need. But if they play in a four and Ben White is there, suddenly you're like, oh, they need two. So it's going to be very illuminating what Arsenal want to do once we see the first preseason game. Because as much as Arteta has talked about wanting a four-three-three, frankly, we know he can play almost any system he wants. Now it's getting to the stage where we're seeing in the Euros how five at the back is with wing backs is basically almost the, the four four this this diamond breaker where mm. you know most coaches have gone to it and said, Oh, okay, everyone wants to play two banks of four. We're just gonna run round them. And maybe maybe that's the new you know, tactical fad. Maybe that's, you know, it's it, when Tiki Taka worked in 28, 2008 and 2010 for Spain. And then, you know, puke football, as it's called in Ireland, you know, the the, the blanket defence or Jose Mourinho football, mm. you know, like where, where everyone sits back. That was what clubs did. And then, you know, people got rounded by what? Jurgen Klopp, just pushing everyone forward. Like it's, and Pep Guardiola. Like it's, 
what's the next step? What's the next step to get around it? And maybe we started with five at the back. We all said, no, 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 no. We want to go. We want to play four at the back. It might be just the case where we're wanting Arsenal to go to four at the back just at the po- just at the point in time when everyone else is going to five. Well, I mean, ultimately, no formation is invulnerable than any other, and it's about how the formation is applied. And we all saw that when we did play this back three, back five, that it was done in a way that is different to the way that almost everyone else does it. I mean, it wasn't done in a way that we'd recognise in this tournament from what we've seen in the teams in the Euros. You know, they've been very much playing five at the back, all about the width from the from the wing backs, and that's not what Arteta did. Uh, he he had them kind of alternating different positions, either going beyond you know, taking up the winger role or coming more inside and bolstering the midfield, which is why it worked with, say, Maitland-Niles and Bellerin in those positions, rather than rather than them being someone you could really apply those roles in a back four. But I think you've raised a key point, you know, Ben White is a key example, you know, the, the, the other guys we've been linked to, actually, most of them are players that uh, can work in one or two roles and, and if not more, in more than one system. And we all know that, you know, we've all seen enough from Arteta to know that even if he has certain ideals that he'd like to aspire towards, he's going to want to riff off those. And, you know, um, I know that people have talked, uh, both Tilm Stillman on the Arsenal Vision podcast and, and even Sylvain on this one, um, talking about, you know, John Joe Montemero with the women's team. In fact, we've probably talked about it ourselves. It, having that period of bedding in a clarity of formation and then riffing off it once everyone kind of understood the con- you know how, what the principles to be applied to that formation were and once the principles were embedded you could then apply it to other formations and I guess it's trying to kind of balance what the players in the squad suit and are familiar with with what you actually want as an overall idea um, and you know formations are one thing but they can all be applied differently and it's essentially what as with everything in life is what people do with him <laughs> yeah uh, but i mean one thing we with is very clear is you know i mean we talked some time ago about the ben white links when they first emerged and i know that you spoke to anita about it as well but the more i've sort of looked at the player the more i've thought okay this is a guy that it's a signing that makes a lot more sense than it first appears um, if it happens, you know, um, which looks very likely. Firstly, it's the, the replacement for that David Luiz distribution, but only with a bit more tempo, mm. which is, which can only be a good thing because we, we saw how that when David Luiz basically got injured in the latter half of the season, how against really organised defences, <clears throat> Unai Emery, basically we had no penetration and, 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 and ability to play the ball uh, to midfielders in areas where they could actually do anything with it. Um, and, you know, while Rob Holding's a very solid defender, better in a slightly deeper defensive line, uh, decent on the ball, but he's not going to play the, you know, uh, a formation breaking pass or he's not going to run, run past a guy to create space for those up the field. And, you know, White has much to learn in the defensive elements, he's not so good in the air. He's uh, goes to ground a little more than I would like, but his ability on the ball and his ability to, to read danger are both very well, very well developed. And those are two things which are bloody hard to get in centre halves, mm. as this yeah. tournament has shown us. You know, um, and I, I do. I I have a weird player comparison mm-hmm. because it, maybe maybe it's the fact that I'm living in Ireland that I've seen so much of this player but he reminds me a lot of Declan Rice 
Yeah, he does actually. It's, Especially when he plays, he's played a bit of defensive midfielder for Brighton, not exclusively, but he's played a a little bit as well under Bielsa and a tiny and excelled at both of them. And I just, I just wonder whether that's played into this as well because there will be times where Arsenal might start with a three with Tierney as a as a third centre back, and then with if if game is half an hour into it and he's like, nah, this ain't working, they can immediately push Tierney to to left back and then Ben White can just walk 20 yards up the field. Like, he's also oh, played right fullback as well. Uh, yeah. So they're like, it's just that adaptability. And like you said, Arteta likes having malleable players. He likes having players that can play in two or three different roles so that if he sees something and he wants it to change, he can go, right, you play here, you play there. It's why Bukaya Saka is so well loved. It's because he can play bloody well anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even at right back, God forbid he never plays there again. But if if Arsenal are playing a Premier League game and you see Saka's name at left back, you're like, oh, OK, he can do a job. If you see it at left wing back, oh, OK, he can do a job. Left wing, oh, OK, there's a number 10. Oh, OK, right wing, oh, OK. Like, there's that's what he needs because that's what he had at City. Like, mm-hmm. João Cancelo. Like when anytime I'd have um, Shane Keegan, the former Dundalk manager on the Irish radio show, we do like I'd have him. You know, he he's, he coined the phrase that Cancelo was a false three. Yeah. He play, you know, he play left back, and then ten minutes into the game, there he is at centre mid, and you're like, what the hell? But could Ben White do that? Like, is are they going to start something along those lines? Because Tierney can play that way as well. Mm-hmm. Like it, there it's. It's one of those things where it makes a lot of sense in a vacuum. If it's just right, Arsenal are buying a centre-back, they're buying a 23-year-old English player who's comfortable in multiple positions and is good on the ball. Is he going to cost a lot? Of course he is. You know, he's English. Yes. <laughs> English. But, you know, you, you, you tick all the boxes, you go, yeah, that, that player is probably worth about 40 or 50 million, especially with the market saying that Ben Chilwell is worth 50 million and Harry Maguire is worth 80. Yeah, so, yeah. but... Arsenal are not in a position of need for a centre-back right now. That's the problem. They've got enough. Their defence was very good last year. It wasn't fantastic because no one's was, but it was better than most. Especially Arsenal fans are looking at that team and going, okay, it's a really good defence and it's an average attack and you're spending £50 on a centre-back. But of course, you know, just as I was saying, that's... The defensive solidity is not the superpower you're looking at this player for. You know, it's it's the fact that with David Luiz is the only defender in our team who could relatively frequently play penetrating passes, uh, and ultimately that's as much of a problem with our attack. You know, because if the midfield are always getting the ball uh, in front of the opposition's midfield then it's very hard for them to progress it into dangerous areas where, the, where, where then the strikers have space. As soon as you, the, the, the earlier you can get lines broken, it's exactly the same principle as the kind of playing out from the back, you know, in slightly, you know, those wonderful goals we scored in the FA, the FA Cup run, you know, the, the, um, and, and the charity, charity Shield, you know, it's that thing of if, you, if you've got someone who can break those lines, whether it be running with the ball or, or, a, pen, or a penetrating pass, it's a game changer. It, it really does kind of open up so many more possibilities on the pitch. And, you know, the defenders we have are, are solid, but one, half of them can't play a high line. And, I mean, uh, and two, 
Um, they're not going to be creative passes. They're not, they, you know, they're decent passes. I mean, 20 years ago, they'd been like, everyone would be comparing them to bloody Beresi. But mm. uh, the fact is, is that's not what a ball playing centre half is anymore. That you, you need to be more than that. And also, uh, just on that subject, a lot of people have been sort of writing this as the death knell for William Saliba's Arsenal career. And personally, I see it as a separate issue because although Saliba has played on the right of defence. He's actually played more on the left of central defence. Now, I know that Arteta likes a left footer there, but Saliba is one of those players that there's a shit ton of unknowns in terms of the English game. We know that he has struggled in the air, but has improved in this at Nice. Um, and that's always going to make you very vulnerable in the Premier League. But he's a player that we all, we all know that there is a ceiling of huge height there. And I, and I simply can't believe that the coach would be too stupid enough to to not at least give that an opportunity to to to, to be shown. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if if I'm wrong and Arteta forces him out of the club, then I'll be pissed off because just and I'll join the rest of the people with pitchforks because it just would strike me as an incredibly stupid and short-sighted thing to do. But and, um, but I don't see it being incompatible with with Ben White. In fact, I see it being very compatible. Because uh, then you're building a central defence with, 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 you know, with, if you add Gabriel as well, with people who can play a high line, got recovery pace, decent physicality. Gabriel's not quite as polished, but decent on the ball, but in slightly different ways. You know, Tierney can fill in if you're playing a back three, it, and, and Chambers as that sort of fullback who can also play right centre half. You know, you've got you've got a, a clear shape model to your defensive line, which. It has hitherto been very, very mixed and match since, since as soon as uh, Murta Saka stopped being able to play regularly, it was like, who have we got? Where can we put them? Mm. And it's sort of, it's, there appears to be at least a consistency of approach. <laughs> so, so what, what do you do then? Like, do you, is it a case of, like I say, you don't think the death knell is, is sounding for Saliba if Ben White comes, but can Arsenal like Arsenal spent you know the, the best bit of 30 million on Saliba they spent the best bit of 30 million on Gabriel they're now about to spend 50 million on Ben White like if those aren't your first three centre-backs on the depth chart then one of them has to go yeah I mean ultimately it'll come down to how does Saliba look in pre-season uh, and in training and if he's if he's bringing the game that he brought to Nice in the second half of last season, then one of the other centre halves will find themselves either temporarily or permanently in search of past is new. But if he, but if he isn't, if he isn't there, if he isn't quite at, at the level for the Premier League, that then then he's going to go on loan. I mean, the club will not just sell him when when the unless unless they know they're going to make a profit uh, because. Mm-hmm he's gotten long enough on his contract for that not to be something you'd do. Um, and ultimately, you know, whether Saliba, how Saliba feels about things might not be quite as positive as I'm putting a spin on it, but ultimately uh, he's not in a position of power at this point in time. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, I was having this discussion briefly with someone online, they're talking about, you know, ruining the worst development of a centre-half you could see in Europe, you know, it's Arteta's ruined his development, the club, have, uh, and I'm saying, so his development was ruined so badly that he went to play half a season in France and got in the team of the year. So yeah. he's, he's clearly, he's clearly, you know, he's clearly shafted, isn't he? He's clearly ruined. You know, he's never, because yeah. we've, we've ruined him. 
It's like, no, yeah. it's, whether we take any credit for it is another matter, but he has improved in that time. And there's no doubt that the exposure to things within the Premier League and even the training at Arsenal is going to have an impact on him. Uh, I'm, uh, we, we will return to our you know, discussion in a second, but Paul Pogba's just bent one into the top corner from 25 yards. The goalkeeper didn't even get close. And now the, and now the French players are all patting Pogba's fantastically manicured hair. Well, I mean, this is sort of, it's a slightly a, a detour we'll go on there, but with Pogba's a player, like, I, I I love the British press's attitude to Pogba and people like Sulis and, and, and I love, and the, fa- the fact that Man United, in all this time, just haven't worked out how to use him. Mm. You know, the fact is you see this great, tall, strong, athletic guy with great technique and you think, and you think, wow, he could be like, a more attacking version of Patrick Vieira. And you're like, well, he could be if he had that mentality and approach, but he doesn't have that mentality approach. He's a player that you just make sure that you put him somewhere safe where he doesn't have to do anything too much in his own third and let him just do moments of brilliance because that's what he was at Juventus. That's what he's been for France. But, you know, if you expect him to run a game, he's not that player. No. He's not going to be your midfield metronome, and he's. Nope. But suddenly you put him next to Kante, and and there's a, and there's some hardworking people around him. And he looks. He, he's, he decides games. You know. He's uh, measured. He's Yeah, and he's, he's yeah. In, in, in obviously in a different way, but yeah, very much so. And I, I just yeah. find the uh, the way that Man United have completely failed to recognise that fact for the amount of time. Like, I mean, I hate Man United, but I'm actually quite sad about that that there's a player of that ability if used in the right way has basically been wasted at United. Yeah. And look, Bruno Fernandes is an unbelievable player, but imagine having Pogba in your club and thinking we need Bruno Fernandes. Well, the thing is they did need Bruno Fernandes because they weren't using Pogba correctly. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> that's the, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's... Yeah. Like... Oh, well, I mean, it's been very refreshing seeing Bruno Fernandes for Portugal basically in a team full of players that can shoot from distance and, and buy for free kicks looking utterly redundant <laughs> yeah yeah well that, it's it's a it's a major tournament it's where Renato Sanchez comes to shine yes hello remember me remember me <laughs> five years I, ago I was the hottest property in Europe yeah it might still be yes <laughs> I, I was the Camavinga circa 2016 <laughs> Speaking of hot properties, I, again, uh, we'll pop back to Arsenal News in a minute, but how good is Pedri for an 18-year-old? Holy shit. Jeepers. He can pass to almost any position in any angle on a sixpence. What what a player. Except for his opposition, except for his own goalkeeper. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the thing is, um, sometimes you get players of such technical capacity, they expect everyone to have the first, the same first touch. Yeah. It's like when Arsenal midfielders that's no longer had Dennis Burkamp to rattle the ball into, and they were like, "But oh, it's okay, yeah, it's Van Persie." But now it's not Burkamp or Van. Per- Who's going to? No, <laughs> no yeah. one can control the passes if we play them quick enough to beat the defense. Yes, this is the yeah. problem. Um, we're going to uh, talk about some more Arsenal rumours. Uh, just going to do one more before we have a little interlude. Da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. Uh, and that's the fact that there's been very strong rumours coming out of Portugal today, which have been pretty much reported as this is the truth, uh, which uh, remains to be seen. 
uh, linking us to a new reserve left back because, of course, you know, any young available left back in Europe is going to get linked to Arsenal if they're any decent. Um, a certain Mr. Nuno Tavares from Benfica. Uh, so when I first read it, I thought it was Nuno Mendes from Sporting and I got very excited. And I was yeah, like, sort of, yeah, it's not him. So did I. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> and I went, oh, now look, Tavares isn't bad. You know, like he, if, if we're going to, in terms of like Arsenal hierarchies, if Kieran Tierney is Ashley Cole, then Tavares would be gay cliche. You know, raw, quick, decent on the ball, needs game time. You know, and if he gets that, and it's one of those situations where you hope he doesn't, because that would mean that Tierney would play every game, but mm. he's far more of a fit to what Arsenal need as a left back than what we have. And what we have so far is Jack. You yeah. know, we have nothing. So, like, just getting in someone, bit of a, it, look, it's a bit of a risk. It's, you know, it's a rookie, but that's what Arsenal want. Arsenal want, basically, they've, they've, they've looked at, they've, they're learning their lessons from Dick Steiner. They're going, right, we're not getting someone who's not as quick as our right back to be the cover for our right back because as soon as he comes in, we have to play a completely different way. Mm. With with Tierney out, Arsenal, unless they played Saka at left back, Arsenal had to completely change the way they played. We saw what happened when Granite Xhaka was yes. playing for a month. You know, so it's it's a like for like, like I said, it's cliche to call. I don't expect anything from, from him for two years. You know, he would be back up. He might play the Carling Cup games or whatever they want to call it now, the Carabao Cup games. Hmm. Don't expect too much, but at least there's going to be someone there. Yeah. And that's all, that's really all you want. You just want another body in, someone that can provide cover and that can play the same kind of role that your marauding left back already plays. And you just hope that when you need to call upon him, he doesn't shit the bed. I mean, I have to confess, before this morning, I had never even heard of Nuno Tavares. But uh, thankfully, I had a few breaks from work today uh, when the little one was asleep. So I was able to to do some serious YouTubing and reading reports and, and discovering how many Benfica fans on the internet seem to think that it'd be great to get rid of him, uh, which is a bit worrisome. But then... Um, Fans are strange creatures. Um, <laughs> don't take it personally. Uh, but he's a very interesting player, actually, once you start really watching footage of him, because he's got an incredibly ungainly running style that makes him look like no one's ever really taught him how to run. But he still travels pretty quickly. He's built like he's a powerful lad. But what's unusual for that sort of player, you know, he, he, when you first sort of see him, he looks like your archetypal, uh, how would I put it, um, like reserve bloke for, for Nigeria who ends up playing the African Cup of Nations and looks like a genius for two matches. And then and then you see him against anyone decent, you're like, oh, dear. Mm. <laughs> but actually, Nuno Tavares is a really, really, really good passer. Yeah. He's, he uses the ball really well in a way that, like, his feet don't seem to be, ever be in the right position to play the passes that he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I mean, in terms of fixing those mechanics might cause problems, but if you don't want to, don't need to fix the mechanics. Is it? But, yeah, he's, his delivery from wide, but also sort of long cross-field passing. Um, he's, he for play, even played for a while for Benfica on, on the right side of their defence or as a right-wing back, despite being very left-footed. And he's actually... But, despite being very left-footed, he's actually decent on his right as well. He can he can play a considered pass on his right. It's it, that sort of Bukayo Saka type of left-footed rather than 
a Nigel Winterburn style effort. In. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, he just looked. Like I said, from the from the little bit that I've also seen on YouTube, I'm not going to say here that I watch Benfica's under 21s, but like he's a good passer of the ball. He's good under control and under pressure, and he just doesn't panic. And he just looks like someone that could be coached into someone good. There's a lot of your know, good your know, fundamentals there. And yeah, like I said, if it happens, great. Tierney needs backup. Like it's yeah. as simple as that. Well, a right left back is. will be arriving from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, anyone who's going to sign for Arsenal to be reserve left back mm. that we who's already not- know a lot about is probably not the person we want to be signing. <laughs> we yes. probably want to be signing someone we don't know a great deal about. You know, I mean, you know, we can all claim to be experts about Josh Doig at Hibernian, but really. There's probably not even enough footage to make a good YouTube video there. Um, quick, quick update: three-two, uh, Seferovic again. So this 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 game is balanced on a, a rather razor's edge right now. Oh, a linktastic! There we go. There's the pro in the room, boys and girls. Not some dodgy amateur like me. Yes, that's right. It's time. It's time for our not so much a musical interlude, but an interlude to tell us. Some words from our sponsors, which are actually made by us because we don't actually uh, get people to record things. But actually, we have to say, before we get into the detail, uh, the Manscaped products are things that we have uh, encountered ourselves. Um, I won't inquire, Stephen, quite how detailed your encounters with the Manscaped kit has been. It's good kit. It is good kit. It's good kit. (laughs) I I, I, I need say no more. It's good kit. Oh, I like that. It's You'd be amazed that the light at the bottom of it is a godsend. Absolute godsend. Never knew I needed one, and now I can't imagine having a razor of any sort without it anywhere. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a fantastic thing. Um, obviously, uh, we were thinking about, uh, I wanted to ask you before we go into the detail of uh, the Lawnmower 3.0 and associated uh, accoutrements from the performance package, think what footballer do you think? from your memory banks would be the one most likely to benefit from the wonders of Manscaped TM. Bellerin. Oh, you're, you're going for the real metrosexual groomed yeah. to be sexy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of a slightly different angle. Do you remember, uh, do you remember a, a, the centre half who used to play for Bulgaria called uh, Trifon Ivanov? In yeah. the nineties, who looked yeah. like he had been living in a forest for the last yeah. thirty years. I mean, I like this, the man had a, a mane of hair that went down, but on top of that, he just like every part of him that you could see was incredibly hairy. And I just made me think, wow, there's a, there's a man that could deal with the, uh, do well benefit from the uh, well the precision blades of the lawnmower 3.0 because manscapes of course is uh, dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game uh, which of course is more and more important these days uh, you know this isn't this isn't the 1980s anymore uh, thing we've got to get with the program and uh, w- well i mean it is an interesting thing actually the way that men's attitudes have changed and because of that uh, products like manscapes have become or more relevant. Um, I mean, they've forever changed the grooming game with their performance package 3.0, as I referenced, which we have had the wonderful delights of sampling. Uh, and uh, some, well, actually, uh, someone I know has got one, and they describe this as the ultimate male hygiene bundle. Uh, I think the bundle was a bit of a euphemism, but there we go. Uh, the performance package 3.0 comes with the lawnmower 3.0, 
the weed whacker, and formulations to round out your grooming routine, bringing your boys back to life in the game for all 90 minutes. So anyway, uh, you've probably all heard of the Lawnmower 3.0. It's uh, been uh, on the scene for quite a while. Uh, uh, it's hard to avoid almost if you're remotely interested in male grooming of even the less sensitive areas. But it's the best ball trimmer ever created, partly because it's the most important, well, ball trimmer that really focuses on trimming your balls, and your balls will thank you. Uh, so if you're in the need to shave uh, areas of a sensitive nature, this is definitely the product you want. Uh, it's got a cutting edge ceramic blade to remove and reduce grooming accidents, thanks to <coughs> advanced skin-safe TM technology pioneered by Manscaped. And as Stephen mentioned, there is, of course, the LED light, which even for my chin, I'm never going to buy a razor without, again, it's just brilliant the weed whacker is a ear and nose hair trimmer there you go key, key thing is it's waterproof right and it's got a 9000 rpm motor and a powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system and it is smooth it, it's like a, yeah it's a it's a actually surprisingly pleasant to use uh the nose and hair trimmer uh nose and hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology so that basically means it limits nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate holes. Uh, and, uh, well, if any of you have ever done any significant grooming before, you'll know that you definitely don't want nicks, snags, or tugs. Nope. <laughs> uh, and, of course, as we all know, a nose hair, particularly if it's long and bouffant, is a big turnoff. Um, there's polls to give you numbers. 79% of people, apparently, uh, say that, or at least the people who would be interested. And uh, Manscaped do provide the best tools for the job. And, of course, as well as the mechanical equipment of an incredibly high nature, there are the liquid formulations to round out your grooming game. So you've got a crop cleanser, <laughs> body wash, to keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. And also the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant. And obviously those of you who uh, might wear slightly tighter garments uh, will definitely recognise the benefits of that. It's also got the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. So that gives you an extra boost and makes you just set off, sets off the whole thing. So if you're, I mean, let's face it, if you're going to the trouble to really take care of that area, you don't want to leave anything out. You want to make sure you're doing it properly. Otherwise, well, Yeah. I mean, cornfields aren't the only place where stubble burns. That's all I'll say. So look as clean and well-groomed as head to toe as someone like David Beckham, only without the sarong. Anyway, get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20. That's DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. So choose manscaped.com. TM, your balls will thank you. I, I mean, mine haven't written any letters to thank me or anything. I haven't got any notifications, but uh, certainly, certainly what I've experienced so far suggests that uh, everything's a little bit happier than it was before it encountered the Manscaped product range. All, all I know is, you know, folks, they, they prefer a clean workspace. <laughs> yes. Well, we've all seen the benefits down the years, particularly when we had the invincible team of having a finely groomed pitch. A playing surface that's when you can dream of. And depending on what company you have, you too can achieve the same. Uh, spe speaking, speaking of levelling up, it's 3-3 by Switzerland. <laughs> Seems like we chose the wrong time to record a podcast, but that doesn't matter. That just shows our willingness to sacrifice for your oral, that's A-U-R-A-L, pleasure. Uh, and on the subject of oral pleasure with that mate and to do with Arsenal, uh, 
we have to talk about it, even though we don't want to. What do you make of the ongoing Aston Villa pursuit of Emil Smith Rowe? I thirty million is it enough, right? <laughs> no. No, but how I, I, I said it last week, how much is? It it all depends again on how big this rebuild is going to be. You know, if Ben White isn't the biggest target that they ha- Arsenal have in their eyes, do they have a bigger prize in mind? Do they think they might need a couple of extra financial bullets in the gun? Then a reasonable offer for Smith Rowe would have to be entertained. Now, I think frankly that Emile Smith Rowe is going to always agent a rather large beer after this. <laughs> yes. Because- because I think he's doing rather a good job of showing to Arsenal how valuable his client is. But I don't think we're too far away, frankly, from getting to a number which Arsenal might accept. Now, I don't think that number is as high as the number that we would accept. But at some point, just like any game of football manager, any game of FIFA, a number just becomes so silly that you have to take it. But I will say that... uh... If the club were going to count, even countenance selling Emil Smith-Rowe after the season that has just been, not only would the figure have to be significant, but uh, and significantly more than that, they would probably be prepared to pay, but also uh, there would have to be something very significant already in the pipeline. You've got to remember, this is, this is the, uh, the summer of mere culpa. This, this is the, we're sorry for the European Social League and for the fact that now you're basically protesting about us on such a regular basis. And, you know, there's the, the leaking of the stories of a £250 million war chest. <coughs> uh, but the very fact that's happening, you know, when it away from season ticket renewal time mm. tells you that uh, there's a PR offensive going on and selling Emil Smith-Rowe would be a PR disaster unless you were doing something truly extraordinary uh, in, in replacement of it. And, and also, it really becomes down to what your judgment as a player that Smith-Rowe can and, and should become, uh, all being well, is. And, um, you know, I, 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 don't see, I don't see us being able to get a player that is better than what I think Smith-Rowe will be in a year or two for the kind of money that Smith-Rowe would generate. And uh, partly because actually there's, for, for, all, for all that it's a super trendy position, there's not that many fantastic number 10s who aren't at clubs that can quite happily turn down your bids at the moment. Um, yeah. But again, it, it, it all revolves around Arteta's plan, doesn't it? Like if his plan has two number eights, two wingers and a striker, then he doesn't need a number 10. Uh, like it's, yeah, but the thing is then you've got Smith-Rowe again as a player that, that increases value because he can play at eight, he can play at 10, he can play at wide, you know. Agreed. I just think for, for, for what, not just what he represents, but his multifunctionalness, if that's even a word, uh, I'd say he'd be very low down the list. And like you, I'm assuming that this is the agent uh, encouraging interest to try and uh, ensure that his client gets a, a contract befitting his progress. Uh, we've seen this game before uh, and not, and. I mean, what what kind? Okay, as you raise the argument, what figure do you think Arsenal would be prepared to accept? Forty. That low, you think? Okay. Yeah, uh, just on the basis that he's not as good as James Madison, and Madison would be available for sixty. But he, well, I don't know if I'd agree that he's 
not as good as James. I mean, his end product doesn't match Madison, doesn't he? But they're such mm. different players. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he does a lot of things that Madison can't. Obviously, Madison does a lot of things that he can't. Um, but you're, you're, asking, you're asking a buying club to take a bit of a gamble on a player that has shown five months of Premier League form. Mm-hmm. You know, and anything above 40 seems... A, again, I think... On the Arsenal side, I think it would be a little low, but I don't think anyone is going to pay more than that for an exciting prospect. And that's exactly the issue, isn't it? That's that's the thing, is that he's worth more to Arsenal than he is to a buying club, which is why I yes. don't think this is going to go anywhere. That's that's my view of it. And if it does go anywhere, then some buying club has obviously decided to take, take, a, take the level of risk that we wouldn't be comfortable with Arsenal taking. Yes, so it's it's one of the, and look we don't know behind the scenes either. Like the longer it goes that Smith Road doesn't sign a new contract, the more that money is going to look like a. Do you know what? It's almost like you know not taking the gambling bullseye. I know I'm showing my age here, but it's like you know you've got the you know the money in the tankard. You're like do you know what Jim? We've had a great day. <laughs> it's been nice. Thanks. Take the forty million and invest it elsewhere. Like it's again. I I don't think I would take forty. But I would be tempted just because the way football is and not knowing. Now, could that backfire mm-hmm. me in two years? Of course it could. But it, in Arsenal's position right now where they need so much help around the squad, you could find alternatives for Smith Rowe. Yes, he'd be homegrown and yes, you'd have to bring in another Englishman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if Smith Rowe was sold for 40 and Hossam Awar was bought for 30, like they are like if you're going to use that money to build on uh, on attacking and not lose an Aubameyang and not lose a Pepe and not lose a Saka, like I'd much rather sell Smith Rowe and keep Saka than sell Saka and keep Smith Rowe. Like there's at some point the at some point the question becomes how much would you turn down? Yeah, of course, of course. And to me, it's to for me, it's in and around forty. I'm sure for you, it might be maybe a bit higher, maybe a lot higher, but. I don't think, considering the fact that he's not going to get into the England squad anytime soon because of just the amount of players in front of him, you're not going to get that marquee value for him because he's not going to be in major tournaments. He's not going to get, at the moment, mm. he's not going to get in ahead of Foden or Mount or Madison or or you know or Bellingham or anyone that's going to be playing that number eight, number 10. So there is a limit on his value. Of course. And I, yeah, yeah. And I, don't, I, I don't know how much ceiling there is above 40. Yeah, well, I mean, just on that point again, I th- I think I think for a buying team, his value is less than it is for us as a team that would that currently owns the rights to his registration, shall we say? Uh, I, I I think both psychologically and in terms of the homegrown status, and in terms of the dearth of players that we have that can do what he does, and also play in the positions that he does. Uh, I think he is a. I think the the structure of the the squad and where the club is at the moment make him more valuable to us mm. than, than he would be to, to prospective buyers. And therefore, you know, if we had more players that could play with and accelerate the game as he does or play with the pace that he does, as well as being, you know, homegrown. And I think the fact, I think it's such also such a feel good story that I think those things have an, an intangible value, which, which, you know, uh, we didn't have with say something like Iwobi because his development had stalled. Yeah. Yeah. He'd basically, apart from a few months under a few, you, yeah, a few months at the, under the start of Emery, he basically had been the same player for like three years, give or take. Yeah. 
And so that made cashing on him, you know, relatively simple, but also very sensible. You know, he had, he had an established value, an established level of play, which meant that there wasn't quite a risk factor, but also we knew that he wasn't going to be at the level that we aspired to. Whereas Smithrow, there is there's very little track record to entice a buyer, but from our perspective, you know, the, the, there's a very high ceiling there and, and he's been incredibly highly thought of at the club for a very long time. I mean, I think he was even highly thought of as a kid when Arteta was still here as a player. Um, yeah. You know, again, like I said, I'm not saying he's a. I, I'm certainly not saying he is pl- someone that I want to sell. I would very much <laughs> like to keep him, but it's like I said, it's one of those situations where, unfortunately, this sport is a business and everybody has a price. And look, Saka is a hundred million minimum, minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think like I, he's one of the rare players in world football that you can play in four positions and not be worried about. You know, he goes to the England squad so and all. Far, yeah, <laughs> so far, but like uh, the, the whole no, of the England I mean, squad is going. Oh my god! Positions along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I said, Smith Rowe might become really good. I, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that if Smith Rowe right now was a Villa player and Arsenal were interested in him, how much would be too much for you to bid on Smith Rowe? Because I think that number is about forty million. I think if 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 Arsenal if if Smith Rowe was a Villa player who had the five months that he had and Arsenal right went here, there's 40 million from, we think he's going to be really good. I think any more than that. And I think Arsenal fans would be a little bit apprehensive oh, yeah, sure. the same way that that's my point. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's, it's a, it's a tricky one. I, I, well, it's the thing is that, you know, as with any commodity, the, the player's value is different to different parties. Yeah. And and, it's a, and finding an accord on that is always a tricky thing. It's one of the reasons why, despite, despite you know, us being lulled into the opposite by either computer games or the old days of not finding about transfers until Teletext told you, um, it's the reason why transfers quite often take a long time to do. And, you know, if, you, if something appears to come out of the blue, it's just because they've been very good at job of keeping it quiet while they were negotiating, because it's it very hard to find that middle ground. Um, as I say, I think he's worth more to us than he is t- to uh, anyone any likely, any likely buyers. But it's it, but it is sort of interesting that it's Villa making that approach. Uh, you know, is that because there's a chance that they're going to be flogging Grealish for a king's ransom, or is it because that they're trying to play Bertie Big Bollocks, if you excuse the expression, and uh, that's a note to our sponsors. Um, in, in terms of saying, well, we're, you know, we're one of the big boys now. I mean, certainly plenty of plenty of their supporters have been giving it large on on the internet about uh, yeah. in the wake of the bid. And there's probably an element of that as well. Um, yeah. I mean, top, that's what Tottenham did with, with Gareth Bale. You know, and now it didn't work, but like everybody, they bought Eric Lamella. Everyone said, that's a really good signing. They got Christian Eriksen for 10 million and everyone was like, that's a really good signing. Yeah. You know, like they, they like if they're planning on doing the same, like if two, they're, if they sell Grealish for a hundred million, and seventy million of that goes on Emmy Buendia and Emil Smith Rowe. That's not bad, <laughs> you know. So it's 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 a, it's a tricky one. Like I said, it's like I said, it's how far does that figure have to go for that particular person to make romance go away? To go look okay. Mm. Like I said, for me, it's forty. I don't think Villa would bid more than forty. And if that's the case, then Arsenal would probably turn it down. But if they got to forty-five. Like you know what's what's the value of romance and and that I think timing is key as well. You know I think na- I think this point in time 
the colder logical decision making is not going to be what the club does with around this particular subject. I think th- I think there is a recognition that there is a hearts and minds thing, uh, and also you know there's also relationships within the squad as well. And I think that's something that often isn't thought about. That you, you know selling Smith Rowe unless you're bringing in someone stratospheric would be quite damaging from within the camp, given, you know, given that him and Sacco are the bright young things, that they get on very well, that there's this kind of, it's a, it's a perfect reflection of the pathway. You know, the more you get three or four of those and suddenly you are like a destination for all the best young players. You know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of things to sort of take into account with it. I think beyond just the, 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 uh, well, the footballing element, I suppose, or, or the yeah. surface match time footballing element of it. Uh, I just want to hop on from that. And uh, one that's been doing the rounds, which is seems a bit strange to me, but is the is the Aaron Ramsdale links. It, you know, it, it playing, a, paying a homegrown subsidy pie, price for, uh, well, for a, a, a slightly unconvincing, what would be pretend, probably a reserve goalkeeper. Yeah, like if if you took out the name Aaron Ramsdale and you put in, if say this was twelve months ago and you took out Aaron Ramsdale's name and you put in Dean Henderson, no one would complain. No, but Dean Henderson is a goalkeeper. (laughs) Yes, and that's that's the problem. Like Aaron Ramsdale has done nothing to suggest so far, anyway, in his career. I know he's a really, you know, he's thought of as a really promising goalkeeper, and you know, lots of clubs are in for him, but. He did nothing last year to suggest that, oh my God, this is a star in the making, that this is a future number one for anyone. Now, it didn't help that the defence in front of him was absolutely shambolic, but Henderson stood out at Sheffield United the season before last because they were throwing centre-backs forward and he was keeping them in you know, some games single-handedly with, shot, with you know, fantastic shot-saving ability. So... The fact that he didn't stand out is a little bit of a worry because even when we bought Leno for that one year he was there with Petr Cech, it was clear that Leno was the better goalkeeper because we'd seen him at Leverkusen be a damn good goalkeeper. If you're buying someone to replace him, you'd want someone with a little bit better of a track record than Aaron Ramsdale does. Mm-hmm. You know, So, yeah, it's, it's a little worrying in that I don't think there's too many goalkeepers around right now that are going to cost you an arm and a leg. You know, like Donna Rummer is about to literally walk out of AC Milan and go to PSG. I'm not saying we can afford him, but there's so many goalkeepers right now that are good to great that you could spend 15, 20 million. Look, Villa did it with Emmy Martinez. Mm. You know, like there's a lot of good goalkeepers around that will do a job. I don't see why you have to pay a premium for one that hasn't shown himself any real way of being better than that right now yeah and also uh just the fact that ramsdale doesn't appear to be i mean maybe maybe he's stronger in this area than, than i realized but you know the anana thing links from ajax okay that was like okay well here's a, a player that is so such so specific stylistically that you're kind of like okay well that suggests even if you don't like that kind of goalkeeper it's a clarity about what you're trying to achieve whereas Whereas Ramsdale's not that, you know, he's he's he he's not pinging sixty-yard passes for the national team like Jordan Pickford, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all know Pickford's a dodgy keeper and goes through dodgy runs of form, but that is a part of the game which 
is and has for some time been very strong. So it's like, okay, well, that tells you something about what the priority is. Whereas Ramsdale hasn't shown enough in any particular direction to really know what makes him, apart from his nationality, you know, uh, the option. Uh, but I guess, you know, the fact, the fact he's been a first choice goalkeeper at two, albeit relegated Premier League clubs uh, for two seasons in a row at the age of 22 suggests there must be something there. And the fact he's getting, you know, getting to England squads, but it is a bit of a head scratcher. Like he's all like he's okay, but again, he hasn't shown anything that made makes him stand out from everyone else. That's my point. Like, I don't see why we're rushing in to get him in particular, you know, and and spending a premium on it as well. You know, like like if they were getting him for six, eight, ten million, fine. And you're like, look, he's going to be a decent backup to Leno. If Leno goes, he'll be Almunia for a year. And you're like, oh, okay, fine, but. If you spend more than that on a goalkeeper, you are making the statement that this lad's the future. Like he is going to play. Yeah, yeah. And if you spend if you spend that money on a goalkeeper, then you're selling Leno either this summer or next. Like that's an absolute you know guarantee. So it's like I say it's it's an interesting one. It it depends on Leno. Yes. If, if he's he's two years left in his contract, if if he is currently in the background saying I'm not sure if I want to stay, which frankly is a perfectly reasonable thing to think right now, mm-hmm. then Arsenal should absolutely be going out of the way to find a successor because we're not letting him walk out the door for nothing. Yeah, yeah, quite. It's the it's just the fact that if of all the names to pick, Aaron Ramsdale is a exceptionally unsexy one. I suppose it's it, it is that you know it's also a sort of reflection of the paucity of homegrown goalkeepers actually at the moment so, you know the fact that he's so so high up the the, the ranks of in goalkeepers when he's basically proven so little um you know when 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 you and I were young uh, English goalkeepers were the envy of the world you know uh, but that's uh, even though we couldn't find midfielders that could pass the ball more than 10 yards <laughs> um but yeah it's 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 definitely moved away from from, from that position um I mean, there haven't really been any other real major transfer stories that I've come across over the last week that weren't already floating around. So I don't know if it's worth going down that. But I did want to just mention some of the departures, you know, been cleaning out a lot of uh, people at the under-23 level, you know, uh, rather than, as Arsenal have so often done, of just kind of hanging on to players until their sort of their development's completely ruined and they end up basically floating out of the game. We've let Trey Coyle's gone to, was is it Belgium he's gone to? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, on a, on a permanent deal. And I think that's a good deal for him because he's someone that just was incredibly highly thought of as a 15-year-old, but injuries, injuries, injuries. Uh, we, you know, we've all had the story before of a very promising young player who's just so disrupted by injuries that he... So, sorry, uh, Trey Coyle went to Lausanne in Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, Med- yeah, Zek Medley went to... Zek Medley went to Belgium, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so Coyle was one that had a decent season on loan in, in the lower leagues, but uh, needed to play, needed to play. And because of the stalling of his development, he was not going to make the Arsenal level, despite the high hopes we had from young in his career. And that happens a lot with young players, you know, injuries do derail all these plans. Zek Medley is someone that never really looked like he was going to make it at Arsenal. And so his departure comes as a surprise to absolutely nobody. Uh, his loan spell at the same club as um, Trey Cole was not as successful. And uh, Mark McGuinness, a fresh off a very successful loan spell with Ipswich, has gone to Cardiff. Uh, he was a player that sort of many people hadn't heard of until he scored 
a towering header in the preseason last year, and then uh, went had a good season on loan at Ipswich and gone to Cardiff. We haven't got a confirmation of what fee there is, um, but it seems like that the fee for all three is quite minimal. But one can only hope that the club's been sensible enough to get a good sell-on clause uh, for all of them, basically. Mm. So we don't get nabbed. <laughs> yeah, or or not, or, or, not, or, not that there or been, Ireland. Well, yeah, I mean, not there would have been much of a selling clause in Nabri anyway, because of Bayern using a third party as a shopping trolley uh, yeah. in, in a way that wasn't remotely dodgy at all. Because <laughs> of course, of, of course, they, the team that bought it from an Arsenal would sell him on for a really small profit after a really good breakout season in Germany. I mean, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they give him away to Bayern for virtually no more than they paid for it? Hmm. Um, oh well. It's that thing, I mean, but obviously the situation in Bayern in Germany is bent, but it's a kind of a fun one because, funny one, because Bayern have actually bailed out a number of other cl- of their direct rivals in the past. So now that's a bet, which, you know, is very good of them, but it also now means that everyone owes them a favour. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 a, it's a shame, but that's... Well, welcome to world football, you know, where everyone owes everyone. Like it's like amortization is a great idea in theory, but when you get to the stage in 2021 where you know Barcelona still owe Liverpool money for Coutinho, like <laughs> to be fair, Barcelona were putting that shit with us 20 years ago. Oh yeah, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> that's, like that's Barcelona. Yep, yeah, but that's that. This is like the the end product of that, where nobody has money. The one time Arsenal want everyone to have money. Well, I mean, it depends who we're, who we're trying to buy apart from a young English centre-half, of course. <laughs> it might yet work, work in our favour. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much else going around in terms of transfers around the world. Uh, I mean, the business, I mean, as often the case, it's on the highest stream international tournament. I mean, Grant Jacques is pretty much, without saying it, oh, Rome, isn't Rome lovely? I really like Rome. And Arsenal know what I want to do. Yes, OK, get the message, you know. See we'll, we'll, we'll just yeah, we'll just get we'll just get maneuver. We'll just wait. Like I said, there's a lot of deals in the pipeline right now. Like yeah. we, it's just waiting for you know T's to be dotted and I's to be crossed. And yes, I've mixed them up. But like it's you know a lot of people are just waiting for the first paycheck of the month to arrive. Yeah, and as soon as, soon as that kicks in, you know, especially after the Euros, I think a lot of deals are going to get done very quickly. And yeah. By the end, we we should have a better picture of what Arsenal are trying to do. And on the subject of the Euros, just before we wrap up, uh, obviously uh, France Switzerland is in the balance as we speak. Basic breath. Of course, you know the outcome already, listeners, but that's lucky for you. Um, who's your pick for the tournament as things stand now? England still. Gosh, it's consi- well. Look, Czech Republic have just got through to the quarterfinal after yeah. playing well. Croatia did really well to get it back to three all against Spain and then, you know, Spain counted them. But England bet Czech Republic and Croatia quite comfortably. Mm. You know, they got ahead and then just sat on the lead. You know, like I it's it's going to be weird that if it turns into like an, an, an England Italy final, we're gonna have the Italians playing exactly the way the English want to play, and the English are gonna be playing exactly the way the Italians are gonna to want to play. You know, like like this is a it's a very smart, very organised, very, you know, street smart England team mm. where they are not taking risks, they're not taking chances, they're playing to percentages and it's driving people mad, but they've conceded three goals in 16 games. Yeah, I mean, basically, they, they, 
Southgate worked out the defence wasn't good, so he just thought he'd protect it. Yeah. And that's worked quite well. I mean, I, I suppose, for, as far as England are concerned, so much depends on whether Harry Kane can either find some form or have the good grace to get injured. Uh, because at the moment, he's playing badly and playing selfishly as well. As, mm. as, as a friend of mine was saying today, you know, uh, all, all about waiting until after the tournament, but I think there's no doubt that the desire to move on is probably in his head a little bit because he's making different decisions on the pitch and he's playing. Yeah. I think he's playing incredibly from, selfishly. Uh, but the team, the team's built around him now. Yeah, 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 like like the, the whole way England attack is built around him dropping back and knocking the ball over the top to two or three rushing wingers has been for five years, and that's not going to stop, and it shouldn't because that's his strength. Yeah. But the problem is, yeah. is when you team that with a Mason Mount and a Phil Foden, two players who also like to occupy those spaces, suddenly you get a very predictable England side because nobody runs. You know, you take off, yes, you take off those running, yes. Yeah, but you like I say, you take off both of them, you introduce Grealish and Saka, both of them who love running both on and off the ball, and suddenly England look like a different team altogether. So it's risk or reward. You're going to get a Germany side who cannot defend for toughies at all, but they can attack really, really well. And if Thomas Muller is fit, they are going to score. But you've got an England side that is probably going to play forward in Sterling, maybe Saka instead of Mount and then Harry Kane and then off the bench you can bring off Jack Grealish Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho yeah you know like I mean I really do hope that they stick with Saka not just for any Arsenal bars but just because he's good well he's he's good but also <laughs> it's the way in which he's good yeah he, he, uh, I, I mean uh, Grealish is obviously the darling because he's a provoker but he's he does hang on to the ball too much Whereas yeah. Saka's just so direct and so kind of, he, he just, well, as we've seen all season, he just give, always gives the opposition something difficult to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in a team which is otherwise too static, I think that's really, really, and, and in fact, obviously, he's, he makes runs off the ball and with the ball. I think that's something that the England team is really missing. Um and the problem, of course, is that all their other really good attacking players prefer playing on the left side of attack. Mm. You know, I mean, Foden's been playing on the right for England, but he doesn't really do Does. that. Doesn't do it for City, and doesn't it doesn't really convince there. Sanchez played on the right for England, but strangely enough, not for Dortmund or indeed as a kid at City. Uh, you know, Rashford, Sterling, yada 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 yada. Um, so there's a, there's a real opportunity for Bukayo, and you know, Im- imagine what it would do for him, and and also. Yeah, possibly Arsenal's reputation with English players if he were to uh, turn up against Germany and do something significant. So we, yeah. I think we have to hope that that is the case. Um, crossed. Uh, I didn't expect my, my comment about liking Den- and liking Holland a lot, but fearing their defence would be their downfall to be come to fruition quite so early in the tournament. <laughs> hey, it's, it's why I don't like Belgium to win it. You know, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne is now rapidly turning into injury-prone Kevin De Bruyne. And their defence is still Vertonghen, Alderweireld and, amazingly, Thomas Vermaelen. Yeah, Vermaelen, yeah. who actually was their best defender in the last match. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't like that team to progress at all. Spain, you know, they're, they're decent. They're OK. France have just been taken to extra time by Switzerland. Italy nearly lost to Austria. Like, there's no standout team 
unless it, but if England beat Germany tomorrow, then they are the standout team. So Tournament football. <laughs> right. So uh, okay. Well, as you've picked England to win it, I guess you're predicting England to beat Germany tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I am going to the pub at half four. <laughs> I'll still be working, <laughs> so I won't be going to any pubs at all. All right then. Well, in the absence of any other Arsenal news, and frankly, uh, we probably quite see the penalty shootout that appears to be in, approaching at high speed. We're going to knock this one on the head. So uh, thank you again, listeners, if you got this far. If so, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Stephen for keeping me company. And of course, do remember that as listeners of this podcast, you've got an exclusive offer to get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20, DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code DCPOD20 and make sure that you, uh, well, up your personal grooming game. Hit the target and show up your D this Euros with Manscaped TM. Have a great week, everyone. And uh, yeah, clean yourself up. Cheerio. Good luck. <laughs>